my wife, Corey, and I were in student ministry for about 10 years. Uh, that's for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with what that even means. We were in ministry. We were pastoring students, middle school, high school, college age students. And we loved it. We still do. We love students. Um, we, we go from time to time, not as often as we probably would like, but we go from time to time even to our warehouse here and get to hang out with our middle school and high school students here from this campus under Pastor Trevor's leadership. And we, just, we love students. We love student ministry. And what I love about students or what I loved about student ministry is that it allowed us to really help walk the road with students as they were navigating what is often very uncertain times. I don't know, some of you, it's been a while since you were a teenager. But, uh, but you know, teenage years aren't always the easiest. And so we loved the opportunity to get to walk with students as they were kind of navigating those times. And one such experience was we had a young lady come to us one day and she said, I'm pregnant. And I don't know how to tell my parents. I need your help. And so we, we worked together and we got uh, a meeting set up with her parents and with her and me and Corey. And the five of us sat there in my office. And this 15 or 16-year-old girl looks at her mom and dad. And she says, I'm pregnant. Obviously, the mom began to cry. The dad sat seemingly emotionless for a while. And then he, he almost got angry. And, and then he started questioning. He said, well, how, how can this be? I mean, who, who's the father? Is it Joe? And Joe was the guy that she was, she was dating at that time. And they'd even talked about getting married at some point. And so is it Joe? And she said, no, Dad, it's not. This baby is the Holy Spirit's baby. And I'm carrying the Son of God. Now, this didn't really happen. This is in the Bible, right? This, some of you can take a deep breath. This did not happen to me. <laughs> This is the story of Mary from the Christmas story, right? Some of you still don't get it. You're like, what? Mary from the Bible was in your youth group? What? Um, But sometimes when we read the Christmas story, we lose the emotion of the Christmas story. I just told you about a 15 or 16 year old girl who was pregnant and had to tell some people that she loved. And guess what? That actually happened. There was a teenage girl who had to share with those closest to her that she was pregnant and carrying the Son of God conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. Imagine being a fly on that wall. Did they have? Yes, they had walls. Imagine being a fly there in that conversation, in that day. Because sometimes we lose the context, we lose the emotion of the Christmas story because of our familiarity with the Christmas story. I mean, these characters are not flat, emotionless, unattached people in a book, on a page. They are like you and me, flesh and blood, living in community, living in relationship, doing life, and trying to figure out how to live. And live in accordance with God's word and his will, and live in a way that honors and pleases him, but also trying to figure out how to be human. And so today we're concluding our casting call series. It's been a series for the last four weeks where we have looked at these characters individually. We've called out some of the characters of the story and we referenced the angel in week one. We talked about Herod in week two. Last week we talked about Joseph and today we're going to spend some time talking about Mary. And all of these characters do for us what other characters in other stories do. They actually tell us the story. 
They actually draw us into the story if we see them as an extension of us. As a mirror image maybe of us. As as we look to find some commonality with who they are and what they are and what they're experiencing and how they're doing life. And and so I want us to look today to the story of Mary to try to see if if I were Mary. and, And I'm a guy and I get that that means I can't really go, you know directly parallel into her story and experience the emotions, but trying to understand in the conversations with an angel, the, the, the words that are being spoken to me, the things that are being asked of me, the, the things that I'm about to walk into, the unknown tomorrows of my life, based on what the words that are being spoken to me now, how would I respond? So if you've got a Bible, flip with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and really Luke... Two are the places that we find the Christmas story in, in some of its greatest detail. There's obviously other um, tellings of the story in some of the other Gospels and even references in some of the other New Testament books. Some of the prophecies in the Old Testament books. But Luke 1 and 2 really set up for us perhaps the, the greatest telling of or the most detailed telling of the Christmas story. Luke 2 is probably where you will, if you do this when you gather with family, you tell the Christmas story. You begin reading in Luke chapter 2. Um, in the in the coming days. And, and so we're going to drop back just in front of that to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And this is what we're going to read for a couple of verses here. Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern or tried to understand what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you were God, if you were the writer of the story, if you were on the hook to deliver the Savior of the world to the earth, how would you get him there? How would you get your son, Jesus, To the earth so that all of humanity could be saved. What would be the way that you would choose to get Jesus from heaven to earth? Because God chose this miraculous conception through a virgin named Mary, betrothed to a man named Joseph. And you know how this story plays out. Even the most ungodly pagan people in our culture understand some of the truth. They can tell you parts of the story. That Mary and Joseph, they traveled and they get to the place and there's no room in the inn. And so they end up in a, in, a, in a barn. They end up maybe in a cave. 
And in the midst of that, there are animals and there's a smell. And she has the child and she lays the child in a manger, a horse trough. She lays him down on the hay and she wraps him in tight cloths to keep him warm. And she lays him there. And at some point there are shepherds and there's an angel and there's a star and there are magi and there are gifts. We know this story. But how would you choose to do it? How would you and I, if we were given the opportunity, choose to get the hope of the world from heaven to earth? God, surveying all of history, from beginning to end, because he is outside of time, chose to look down and identify a teenage girl, and into her he placed the hope of the world. He placed your salvation and mine. He placed forgiveness for your sins and mine. He placed love and forgiveness and acceptance in her. It's the method that he chose to get the message to me and you. He chose Mary. And obviously throughout history... Different religions and different faith bases and different people have looked to Mary to identify what was special about her. What was it that made her unique? How did, why did God choose her? How did God choose her? What was God trying to do? They've elevated her because of her chosenness. But the story's not about Mary. The story is about the child that she carried. But obviously, in understanding that she was chosen to carry the child, there is something that God evidently identified about her. But what was referenced in the story that we just read is this is not the only miraculous birth in Luke chapter 1. Before we jump all the way into Mary's story, I want us to look at another story found in Luke 1. A story that you may know or you may be a little bit familiar with. If nothing else, you just heard it referenced in our reading just a minute ago. And what we already read... The angel tells Mary about her cousin. She says in verse 36, and this is not going to be on the screen, but and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So the angel says to Mary, there is a barren relative of yours, Elizabeth, who could not conceive. And yet she also has conceived and she's six months ahead of you in this process. And so this also is a miraculous Birth. There are a couple scriptures that will be on the screen, but this is an angel speaking to Elizabeth's husband, a man by the name of Zechariah. This is in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. This is what it says. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, this is John the Baptist. His parents' last name weren't Baptist, but he's John the Baptist. He was the baptizer. He was the one who was baptizing in water. He was the one who was kind of kind of a, a, a weird guy, maybe. He was out in the desert, and he was wearing weird hair, and he was eating weird stuff, and he was proclaiming weird messages to people. And, and, and so there was a little bit of a stigma about who he was, but this is him that we're referencing here. This is who we're talking about. Jesus himself, the, the child that was to be born from Mary, eventually, when he's older, right at the beginning of his ministry, he goes to his cousin John... Who, who was this child in Elizabeth, he goes to John to be baptized. So there's some interaction here that kind of spans a number of years. But 
But there's a, a prayer, evidently, that's been prayed by Zechariah and by Elizabeth. And, and, and I don't know what your experience is. I, I don't know for those of you that maybe don't have children but, but want to have children, if, if that's something that, that just the time hasn't come yet or you're not ready. Or, or maybe some of you, you want to have kids, but you, to this point, you've, you've been unable to. You're not really sure. The doctors don't really give you any sense of why that's happening, but you've been unable to have a child yet. This is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so I can understand because we've got some friends that have kind of walked that road. I can understand that sense of anguish and the prayers that are prayed and the sense of despair and wanting to conceive, wanting to have a child and not being able to for some reason. And so the angel says to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer and your wife will give you a son. Now, If you were to hear that, you would think, if you've been praying, that's good news. And so you would receive that news with excitement. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Well, you wouldn't say Jesus yet because he wasn't here. But thank you, God, right? But here's what Zechariah says in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Now, I don't know if you noticed what he did right there. But he was careful not to say his wife was old. Some of us have made that mistake. Not me, others that I know. You've made that mistake. So Zechariah puts on himself, he says, I'm an old man now. And my wife, I, I kind of think that Zechariah was thinking about what to say, how to phrase this, knowing it would be recorded for thousands of years. I'm thinking he was going, I'm old now and my wife is also well along in her years. I mean, I don't know how he came to that choice of words, but... He's uncertain at that point how what the angel is telling him is actually going to come to pass. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that. But you hear something from God. You get a sense, you get a word, you read something and you go, this seems to me, this appears to be, or I am absolutely certain that this is the word of God for me. And then immediately... Your mind starts going to, but how's this going to happen? How's this going to work out? I mean, Elizabeth's been barren for a long time. Okay, I I hear what you're saying, angel. This is pretty cool that I'm getting to talk to an angel. That's awesome. And that would seem to be confirmation enough that God chose it important enough to send an angel to give me the good news. But I've still got some questions. How can this be? I am an old man now and she's got some experience in life. How's this going to happen? And so the angel then kind of puts... Uh, put something on Zechariah, kind of a punishment for his doubt. And so he's not able to speak. So he comes out of the temple. He's not actually able to speak. Now he doesn't even know sign language. He's got to kind of sign and and do gestures and show these people. And so they think, oh, wow, he's seen a vision. There's something that's happened. And so he's, he's got this season of time here, this period where he can't talk because of his disbelief or unbelief in the words of the angel. And then... The word, you know, the, the, the word, obviously, Elizabeth's pregnant and, and, and she's going to conceive a child. She's going to have, have this child. And verse 25 says this. This is Elizabeth's response to, to the fact that she's going to give birth to a son. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Zechariah doesn't know how it's all going to work. And Elizabeth is fine that the details don't make sense to her. Because she has walked through the disgrace of not being able to conceive. In a culture, even more so than our current culture, 
where the ability to bear children was a part of the value of womanhood, she could not do her duty of giving a child to her husband. She couldn't continue the lineage of her family. And so in that culture, she was disgraced. People looked at her and, 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 and she wasn't the full woman that she was supposed to be because she couldn't do what was called upon her to do. And so when she hears that she is going to conceive, she doesn't care. She doesn't care that she is old. She doesn't care that her husband's old. She just responds and says, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace by giving me a child. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Here's what's interesting to me about these two miraculous pregnancies of Luke chapter 1. And I don't know that I've ever thought about it. I know I've read these stories a bunch of times. But if you think about these two pregnancies, that they were the exact opposite except for the work of God. Mary shouldn't have been pregnant because she was a virgin. Elizabeth shouldn't have been pregnant because she was barren. There were two different sets of circumstances that should not have equaled having a child. And yet God gave them both a child. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of God, for the furthering of His story, God intervened into their stories, and they both got pregnant. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Again, exact opposites. Elizabeth prayed and said, how good the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace. Mary, on the other hand, because of her pregnancy, is actually walking into a new sense of disgrace. She's going to be a woman who is scorned in that society, shunned in that society, who, because she was not yet married, there's going to be a stigma about her even being pregnant. And so God, by giving Elizabeth this child, takes away her disgrace. By giving Mary a child, adds to her disgrace. It's just interesting to me. Because both of them are impossible. Neither one of them should have happened. But here's what we read in the original text that we started with today. After we understood the angel delivering the message to Mary, then he tells her as confirmation also about Elizabeth. This is what it said in verse 37. But nothing will be impossible with God. And so here's what I would say to you today. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know if it shouldn't happen or it hasn't happened. I don't know if you've been praying for it for a long time or you didn't even see it coming down the road. I don't know if this is the culmination of your dreams or the furthest thing from your mind. But God steps into stories. God's writing a larger story than you and I can even imagine. And it doesn't make us puppets on a string. It doesn't make us emotionless robots that just have to do everything and we don't get to experience life and we don't get to be fully human. But it does say to us, That what seems impossible to you is possible with God. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know if it shouldn't happen or it hasn't happened. But it can happen. I don't know what your life 
is pointed towards. I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what you've established and you've set up and you're pursuing. I don't know what your life is focused on and pointed towards. But God can step into that story and do what you and I think is impossible. It's why we prayed just a moment ago for these needs. Because there are doctors that are giving us really bad reports. And yet, according to scripture, God has the final say. He's the giver of life. God has the final say. You've been praying something for a long time and you don't know how it's going to happen. Guess what? God can make it happen. Even if you and I can't make all the pieces line up the way we want them to. What for you and I seems impossible is possible for God. Like Joseph, Mary also had a choice of her response when the angel delivers the news. Now, wouldn't it have just been great if the angel said, hey, this is going to happen. I don't really care what you think about it, right? But he doesn't do that. And interestingly to me, and I, I say this from time to time, just to be fully transparent, I've never read what I'm about to tell you. I've read this story, heard this story a lot. I don't think I've ever seen this in the story. I just kind of thought the angel shows up to tell Mary that she already has a child growing inside of her. But that's not what the angel said. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. The angels giving her news about what's to happen, what's going to happen. And, and I don't know how this plays out. I don't know what you believe theologically. I'm not sure what you think about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I don't know that. But I do believe, because I've watched it in my own life, I do believe that I have a choice in my response. The way I respond to God. And so I think after receiving this news, Mary had a choice of how she should or could respond to the, to the angel and to really the words of God. And, and so what does she say? Verse 38 says, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. Now, I don't know if the angel talked really slow or really fast. I'm not sure if he gave her a lot of time to respond or a lot of time to think. I'm not sure if there was a moment here where he finished speaking and there was like a 10 minute pause or an hour. Or if he said, hey, I'll be right back. You think about all this. But no matter how quickly this happened, Mary had to respond to the words that she was hearing. And I don't know if she was able in that moment to weigh out all the consequences, to understand what everyone around her would think. I don't know if she envisioned the conversation that she would have to have with Joseph. I'm not sure if she thought through the conversation that she would have to have with her mom and dad. I don't know if she fully understood what it would mean to carry a child. I don't know if she was fully aware of what the culture and the friends and the people and the stigma. I don't know if she, was, if she knew everything that was going to kind of be thrown at her moving forward. I don't know if she knew that 33 years after this event, she would watch her son die on a cross. I don't know if she knew everything that the angel meant when he said that he was going to be this holy child, the son of God, savior of the world, hope for the hopeless. I don't know that she fully understood that all I have is the record of her response 
When she heard the words of the angel, she said, May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. There's something really interesting to me here in this entire story. Before Mary even knew what God was asking her to do, the angel tells us something that God knows about Mary. Verse 28 and verse 30 reference the fact that God, through the angel, speaks to Mary and says, You are favored. You are highly favored. You are blessed. There is something about you that stands out. God's got his hand on you, right? There's something about you. We, we, we hear that, we read that in verse 28 and verse 30. But we don't know what God knows until we hear Mary's response in verse 38. When, we, when I read verse 38 and I hear Mary say, may it be to me as you have said, there's an aha moment in my mind that goes, wow, that's what God knew about Mary before I knew it. God knew that she would respond that way. God knew that there was something inside of her that would allow her to say yes when everything would seemingly push her to say no. God knew she would say yes. God favored her. God blessed her. She was highly favored among women. God knew that there was something about her. God could trust her. I mean, I asked you, how would you get Jesus to earth? How would you get the hope to the world? How would you get the Savior to the earth so he could eventually go to the cross? God chose Mary. And I think he made a good choice. Because the angel delivers the words. And then Mary responds. And she says, may it be to me as you have said. God knew something about Mary. Before we did. And the same is true about you. God knows something about you before you know something about you. Because like I said a minute ago, whether it shouldn't happen, can't happen, or hasn't happened, there's probably something going on in your life that you want to happen, that you need to happen. There may be something that you desire to do for God, to do in life. And you're trying to figure out if you can do it. And God knows. What does God know about you that you don't know about you? How much better does God think about you than you think about yourself? Are right now you contemplating the idea, well, God wouldn't choose me because I know me. And I don't know that I would respond the same way Mary responded. What does God know about you that others might not know? And and here's the thing. A lot of us live in this trap where we live to meet or exceed or create the expectations of others. We feed the animal that is what they think. We contemplate what are they thinking? What do they think about me? And we feed that by living for their audience. We we worry about what they think and then we live to create what they think. Or to feed what they think. Or to improve what they think. 
And so the question today is, am I more concerned about what God knows about me or what they think about me? Because God, he knew Mary. And Mary responded not in a way that even allowed for what others would think about her. She responded affirmatively to God to say, may it be to me as you have said. She didn't say, may it be to me as you have said, and we'll figure out what they think. May it be to me, sort of, I'll I'll change a couple of the details. I'll tell the story a little differently so that they don't get the wrong impression about what's going on here. She just says, may it be to me as you have said. I'm more concerned about what God knows about me or what others may think about me. Because I believe that God wants to do things in all of us. And here's the reality. You and I are Mary. We can carry the hope of the world. We can carry the Savior of the world. We have the opportunity to carry the child of God, the Son of God in us. Mary carried Jesus in her womb for nine months and delivered him to the earth. He lived on the earth and eventually he would begin to proclaim the good news. He fulfilled the law and he went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine and for everyone that you know. And then the church exploded after his death. He gave the good news to a band of people that you and I also probably would not have chosen. And they took that news, they took that gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fuel of the Holy Spirit, the power to be witnesses, and they multiplied the story and the people who engaged the story And the book of Acts is the beginning of that. And throughout history, the gospel has continued to multiply. And you and I sit here today with the opportunity to hear the words that the angel spoke to Mary. Today, God sees something in you. He thinks you're the perfect candidate. To carry the hope of the world to the hopeless. He's identified you as someone who can carry the gospel message to the people that need to hear it. He looks at you and he sees someone that he can implant the Savior into. So that you can tell the story to the people that need saving the most. You're Mary. I'm Mary. And now I have to respond. What do I do with the message that God's chosen me to carry hope into the world? Do I immediately begin to think about how others will respond to me? Do I immediately begin to filter out how I'll tell the story and what things I'll say and what things I won't say and what things I'll keep for myself and 
Do I look to the heavens, not fully being able to grasp all that's being asked of me and say to the Father who chose me, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. It's a hopeless world. It's a world that needs saving. It's a world that needs love. It's a world that needs forgiveness. It's a world that needs grace. And all of that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you just take the Savior in for you so that you can be saved, you're missing the point. Mary had to deliver the hope. So do you and I. And you may not think you're ready yet. Here's what God saw in Mary and here's what he sees in me and you. God knows you're ready before you think you're ready. God knows you're ready before you think you're ready. God chose you before you would have chosen you. God chooses people all the time you wouldn't choose and I wouldn't choose. God knows you're ready before you think you're ready. And so it's a really simple response today in two parts. For those of us in this room who have never received that hope. We've never received the free gift of salvation. Or maybe we have, but it's been a really long time. And we know for sure, not just that we have struggles, but that we have walked away from a life in relationship with Jesus Christ. The Sunday before Christmas would be the perfect opportunity for you to receive the child of God into your life. The second part of this is that I've received the hope. I've entered in a relationship. I've asked forgiveness. I've allowed him to come and be the Lord of my life. But I've never delivered the good news. Never delivered the child to the world. I've never told the story. I've never allowed what's going on in me or what's happened in me to affect other people. Let me just tell you that I want you to. I want me to. I want us to. So we're going to bow our heads in just a second. Not right this second. We're going to close our eyes in a moment. We're going to just sit in the quiet with this music playing over us. And no matter where you land on this scale, no matter if you feel this need to respond or you don't, this is a moment just before we celebrate the birth of the Savior. To make sure that we've received the good news ourselves. And that if we have received the good news, that we are prepared to respond and understand that we've been given the good news to deliver the good news to the earth. And that we will reorient our lives based on this response, that we will allow God to do what He wanted to do through us ask you now just to bow your heads close your eyes nobody's looking around Lord I pray in this moment you would just have your way you would work in this room that your presence that's been with us all day would just be here in this moment we would experience that we would know it I'm just going to ask you now just to search your heart I'll be quiet for a moment just search your heart evaluate who you are this is not about being a good and right and moral person this is about Has my life been transformed by the Lord? Have I received the free gift of salvation? 
Have I reoriented my life around delivering that news to those around me? and every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. You may not think you're ready, but God knows you are. And today is your day for some response, a new commitment to deliver the good news or to receive this free gift of salvation. Christmas is the perfect time to respond. It's a moment when the entire world seemingly pauses to acknowledge that history was forever changed because of the babe in the manger. And so today, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I know for sure that I need to receive this free gift of salvation. I'm a sinner. I know that I don't live in accordance with God's word, but it's not about being a better person or being more right. It's being found righteous. And all that can only be done through the work of God. I can't be good enough on my own. And so I need today to acknowledge my need for the Savior. And I'm asking him to forgive my sins, be my savior, and to also be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I need a savior today. I want to pray for these folks that have lifted their hand and then we'll continue. Lord, right now in this moment, for every person that lifted their hands, I pray. God, I pray in this moment with the sensitivity of their hearts to respond that you would acknowledge that as you do. That God, you would help them to know that just by acknowledging you, it's enough. They don't have to work for their salvation. They just need to acknowledge their need for you as a savior. So God, today, forgive their sins. Be the Lord and savior of their life. Help them to reorient their life around the things of you. God, let them live in accordance with who you are as they more and more line up with who you are and desiring to live according to your purposes and not their own. And I thank you for that, God. Now, for every other person in this room, even for those who have already lifted their hand, if you say, you know what, I I have received the good news prior to this moment, but I need to deliver it. I need to be more about getting the plan of God, the hope for the hopeless Salvation to those that need saving. I got to get that message out. And I want God to do that in me. I want to respond affirmatively today to say, yes, let it be to me as you have said. I will carry the good news and deliver the good news to the world. Let that be in me. Would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. There's so many of us today. God, now for those that have lifted their hands, I pray, myself included, that we would be carriers of that hope. That, God, we would take the message of your son, Jesus Christ, into the dark places of this world. That we would share that love with those who feel unloved. That we would share that forgiveness with those who feel like they cannot be forgiven. God, you would help us to illuminate you in the way that we live. And, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your story. We thank you that you choose people like Mary and you choose people like us. So God, we commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name we pray.